Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Everything is personal right here. Everything is personal right here Everything is personal right here Let me end the DNA Heat guaranteed when you press in the play Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. So today I have a very special guest. It's Ms. Kat Lawrence, who's the VP of Manufacturing Products for C3 Industries. Thank you so much for joining us, Kat. Appreciate it. My, my pleasure. Happy to be here. Thank you. Um, so what is C3 Industries? Ah, C3 Industries. We are a multi-state seed-to-sale cannabis company. We make recreational and medical cannabis available to our customers in three states. Um, let's see, we have, you know, indoor cultivation centers, we have processing centers, we're actually building our first greenhouse now, and it is epic. It's in Michigan, and it's huge. It's so exciting. It, it's, it's, I, I have to be honest with my audience. So I had a technical glitch, where I didn't record uh, part of part of what we were talking about, so we redid it again. And 
you're absolutely right. This time is much smoother uh, description. <laughs> but I but I liked when I caught you off guard with your previous description. It's too bad we can't add it in. But it was <laughs> it was good about asking what C three <laughs> industries are because well I, I'm just curious because we have all these different MSOs right. So it's multi state operators and mm-hmm. there's and diff- different ways they operate too because some of them say okay what we're going to do is we're going to focus on cultivation because that's really our core competency. And then what we're going to do is we're going to cultivate and we're going to establish all these different brands uh, because that's what we're really good at. And then the other ones to say, okay, we can get source material, but we're really good at extraction. So one of the things we're going to do is we're going to focus and process all the source material that we get. Either we grow it ourselves or we get it from other, but this is our core competence. And then, uh, and our other others are like, you know, we're really retail focused. So we'll get all this stuff, but we're really, really good at the retail end. So is there a specialty or is it all of the above? I, I have to say, I think that it's all of the above. We have award-winning flour. I mean, the flour is phenomenal. Um, we actually have a research center in Portland, specifically uh, there right now working on, you know, new strain development and, um, you know, phenotypes and everything else. They're trying to just grow the best flour um, in every state that we grow. It's, you know, we have really good cultivation practices. Our, our cultivators are awesome. They, they, you know, they do, they do go above and beyond to make sure that they have delicious flour for us to enjoy. Um, from my end, the processing, I am incredibly proud of our processing uh, team and our processing growth over the last couple of years. Um, I think we really have stepped into a place where we're making, you know, world-class concentrates. Uh, I, I, I couldn't have done it without the team. The team is everything, but they work really, really well together. Um, and then in, in terms of our, our retails, I don't know if you've had a chance to walk into a high profile near you somewhere, but uh, I think that they do a great job in the high profile stores. We have, uh, I think, 11 in Michigan right now. There's, you know, there's a few in Missouri. I don't remember how many. We have them in Massachusetts. Massachusetts. I know there's one in Boston. I think there's more than one in Massachusetts. But again, the number, they just keep on, oh, we open another store. But you have to be doing well if you're going to keep on opening more stores. Um, we started with two or three in Michigan. And now it's like, oh, they're opening two more um, in, in the next few months here, I believe. So it just is, it's growing like rapid fire. <laughs> um, but I think we do a good job with all of it. You know, the the processing couldn't be what it is if we weren't getting the premium flour and premium biomass that we get. Now, we don't always process just flour. We process the trim as well, obviously. Um, actually, we get more trim than flour, but um, all of it is like top notch. It smells good. It's, you know, it's cured, but our dry cure process is fairly short, I believe, compared to what I've seen. Now, when we're in a state where we don't have our grow turned on, like uh, in Missouri, we're we're still building our grow facility, but our lab is up and running. And we are processing external biomass, what we can get our hands on. Um, you know, it's interesting because the the biomass, it's not cloud cover. It's it's we notice the difference in the lab when we process external biomass, at least what we can get our hands on. Um I, I think our cultivators do a really good job. Um, and, and, you know, 
making sure there's nothing funny going into the plants. You know, these plants assimilate everything you put into the soil. And we don't have metals issues. Uh, we, you know, like we don't have, we don't use the pesticides. There's never, never any residual pesticides in our biomass. So processing cloud cover biomass is actually really easy and it makes the processor's job that much better because uh, they, they have a better biomass to start with. And the better your biomass, the better your concentrate. Got it. So it makes total sense. Uh, I mean, it's what you put in is what you get out and less manipulation has to happen when you have good, you know, biomass and a good source material. Um, so let's, let's learn a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? All right. I was born and raised in Michigan, just North of Ann Arbor. Um, I spent my entire childhood here and I went to college here. I went to Eastern Michigan university. Um, and then from there, I, at some point, uh, moved to Chicago for a few years and then I came back to Michigan. Then I moved to Texas for several years and then, uh, I got invited back, uh, to join C3 Industries. And so I came back uh, once again, and I don't think I'm ever going to leave again. <laughs> I love it here. Even even the weather? I like the seasons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm from Philly originally. I live in LA now, but I, I couldn't stand it. So I love the weather. I could wear a t-shirt in January. So, but I, I understand. Um, no, I, I want to shovel the snow in January up oh, my driveway. That's the worst. Personally, like yeah, I, I'm I understand. that person. <laughs> I get it. I'm that person. All right, so let, let's go back. You you sort of went over where you resided, but let, let's talk about background wise because if I uh, write correctly, you were in the nanoparticle space. You were in oil and plastics and. Can you, can you give us sort of a little bit of background uh, where that uh, took you? Sure, sure. I uh, I started my career while I was actually still in grad school. I was here in Ann Arbor uh, working for a nanoparticle company where we were synthesizing some nanoparticles and I was doing a lot of analytical work on the nanoparticles. And then I got um, I got recruited to a company called Great Point Energy out of Chicago. And I, I worked there for three or four years, helping them do analytical, looking at um, the, the inputs and outputs of their gasification process. So they were gasifying coal and petroleum coke into syngas. Um, uh, and that was the, the target there. And so I was doing all the analytical work for them and uh, set up, helped set up and move some labs for them. Then I was, I spent a little time back in Michigan after I left that job and I was then recruited to a company down in Texas um, called SGC Energia and SGC does, well, did Syngas, um, I'm sorry, they do Fisher Tropes, Fisher Tropes process. Uh, basically combines carbon monoxide and hydrogen to make a straight chain paraffinic molecule like methane, ethane, propane, butane, pentane. And the more carbon you put in the molecule, the longer the molecule gets. Um, you know, your, your shorter molecule mixtures of, 
of hydrocarbons will give you things like diesel fuel or gasoline, naphtha fuel, jet fuel, like liquid hydrocarbons. Very shortest ones are, are of course, like methane, uh, ethane. Uh, those are going to be gas, you have propane, butane. That's going to be part of your like LPG type family that they could be liquid, um, liquefied petroleum gases. Uh, the slightly longer ones, you're looking at naphtha, diesel, jet fuel. You get a little longer than that, you're looking at some really soft waxes, maybe even stuff you might find in like jar candles. The longer molecules from there, you get into some harder waxes, waxes that might coat fruit in the grocery store or um, be used in hot melt adhesives to hold your cardboard boxes together, or they might be used to coat the cardboard boxes so that they can hold the milk inside the milk carton without eventually leaking. Um, they are, you know, these, these waxes are, the really long ones are also used in like PVC extrusions. They lubricate the process. Um, so we were, we were doing this process and I was responsible for all of the analytical that we were using to um, kind of understand what was going into and out of our process. And also like, um, to analyze the products themselves, we set up a QC lab. Well, I set up a QC lab um, and got all these the equipment sort of sorted out onto how we analyze these waxes because they're kind of weird. Um, they're really clean and very, very straight chain. Um, so there's not a lot of isomerization or other things that you'd see in like normal petroleum-based waxes. So a lot of the methodology out there that existed didn't quite work for the Fisher Tropes waxes. So that was a, a real fun project for several years trying to sort out exactly how to analyze this material. And over time, um, got that lab all set up and sorted out and um, started working on you know, what our big commercial scale labs would look like. And like, you know, I did a lot of lab infrastructure, you know, lab design, setup, equipment setup, equipment calibration, methodology setup. Eventually I handed that off to the folks that were in the lab every day running the tests. And I got to move into running some research and development projects as a chief chemist over there. And so the cool stuff we were doing and it was really really cool it had everything to do with plastic recycling and so we would break down the plastics that we had to recycle I mean we were shredding plastic bottles that people you know I drank my water and I put it in the bin and then we'd take all the bottles in the bin and take them into the lab and shred them and use those as feed or like saran wrap was another thing that we would play with as a feed for our, our digestive processes and then we would take those molecules that we would break down we would do some cool reactive chemistry and build them back up into other molecules that we could then blend into our fisher tropes of waxes to change the physical properties so that they would do a better job for pvc extrusion or a better job doing their role in the hot melt adhesive application or whatever other applications we were looking at. Things like synthetic uh, molecules that we could use in place of the little scrubbing beads that got outlawed in face washes a few years back. So we had some biodegradable molecules that we were generating these little waxy beads you could put in a face wash that would they would break down as fast as the naturally occurring options that folks were finding. So that kind of thing. 
Yeah. And while I was doing all of this, um, uh, some some friends of mine up in Michigan were working on setting up C3 Industries <laughs> and uh, knew they were going to be setting up a lab. And they just reached out to me to see if I wanted to be involved with um, maybe doing some consulting on, you know, distillation equipment. Extraction well, before equipment. before we jump before we hmm. jump in that, I have a question for you because you may be sure. the right person to ask uh, because you have a background in nanoparticles. So there's a lot of talk about nanotechnology in the cannabis space, and I wanted to get your thoughts on you know this uh, this marketing effort to say that you actually have a some sort of nano formulation that you created. Uh, is it? really nano? Are they efficacious? Uh, how, how do we know that? What, what does that actually entail? I mean, uh, I don't know that I have the right answer to that. I mean, a nanoparticle is really, really small, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So what, what, what are they, they're doing? Like well, there's, nano- there's, yeah, there's nano emulsions. There's all kinds of different uh, products that, that are, uh, the claims are that they are uh, nano-based, nano-emulsive-based, uh, and that they're uh, faster-acting because they're smaller particles. Uh, they have to be pretty small, uh, like really small, in order to Isn't be effective. Like- and, uh, and there's also transdermal products that are created uh, where they have patches, and they use uh, that as a transdermal uh, application. And those have to be you know, created with nanoparticles as well. Just, just so, just so we're, we're like for everybody's knowledge here, when we're yes. talking about a nanometer, yes, it is one billionth of a meter. So one times ten to the negative nine. So one billion nanometers into one meter. So when you think about how small that is, um, I mean, I. <laughs> I haven't played around and, and spent much time reading about the nano infusions because we haven't quite entered into the like food infusion realm. I know there's a lot of equipment out. I have read, like heard a little bit about people doing nano infusions. Um, I always get nervous with nano. Like we were, we were doing nanoparticle work and I just don't know that your body I don't know enough about how the nanoparticle reacts with the body. Uh, you know, if if it there's risks of it getting places where you don't want it. Uh, I mean, when you think about nano on the skin, it's going to go right. Your body may not have been designed to protect itself from something so small. So if you're intentionally trying to infuse something and you're saying, I can get down to a nano size. And I'm going to put that on my skin and hope that it absorbs. Well, yeah, I would agree that most likely it probably does absorb a little bit better. Um, the same way if you, you know, try and dissolve the powder or yeah. something, you know, the finer you get it, the easier it's going to dissolve. Um, you know, in terms of that, I always, you know, anytime they talk about nano and food, I always get a little concerned. I just don't know how something so small is going to properly do what it's supposed to do in your body. Yeah. Metabolize. I don't know Uh, what, what the research is. And and I don't know if there's been enough research on it to really understand what that looks like in terms of the health, the safety and the 
effectiveness of of the products but i could imagine something that's you know if you're trying to get like a really good homogenized mixer if you have a Mm -hmm. way to like break things down into nano size and do an infusion then you're gonna probably have a really 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 good homogenization um so in terms of like you know it's gonna do a good job of evenly distributing something for sure uh, you know, if you want to put it on your skin again, it might actually do a better job of absorbing in because the molecules are smaller and it's easier right. to get in. How they're getting there, I don't know. I haven't read about it or done the research. Um, yeah. Well, I I'm mean, glad how, you you gave yeah. a disclaimer uh, because I, I think it's 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 the right. We just don't know enough about you know these molecules that are entering the body, and if if you have a lipid. Uh, soluble uh, product like uh, you know a phytocannabinoid that's going into your body. The, the design, I believe, and once again, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not a doctor or a scientist, but I, my understanding is if it's designed to go through the first pass and go to your liver, and if you're creating something that is bypassing that on the way down, where is it actually being metabolized, uh, and or is it is it if it's not going through the liver, it's going directly into your bloodstream and then and going through your bloodstream and then hitting the receptors that way, or is it breaking down? But I, I don't know. I've just been reading a lot about uh, nano and seeing that it's it's faster acting. That the, the the goal of nano for in the cannabis space in terms of marketing, it's faster acting. It'll bypass mm-hmm. your first pass, so you don't have to have a uh, an oxy eleven oxy hydroxide conversion. Uh, so you don't have to worry about you're just getting delta nine or whatever you know the, the particles are uh, the, the phytocannabinoids are, and it's supposed to be faster acting. So that's that's really the the idea behind it, I think. But it's a really good disclaimer that you make because yeah. we don't know, and I, it's a really I, small yeah. molecule. That's the point. That I, I'm glad you brought that up too because it's an extremely small molecule to have that uh, type of uh, you know efficacy. So I'm glad you brought that up as well. Um, so let, let me ask you, uh, why cannabis? Why cannabis? Oh, why cannabis? I, I love this question. <laughs> I actually ask, I ask this question to people all the time. Um, before I get to that, I just want to say that the average size of an atom, I just looked it up. Uh, the average radius is 0.1 nanometers. So one tenth of a nanometer. So if you're getting things down into the nano size, you're almost as small as an atom. And most atoms don't hang out by themselves. They hang out in molecules, right? So you're like down to the molecule size. And that may very well mean that it goes straight into your blood and straight to the receptors. I I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. So why cannabis? I, I have a very, very long standing relationship with cannabis. <laughs> um, I, I started using recreationally when I was younger, um, like in my teens, and it's it's never really left me. I've always loved and appreciated cannabis. Um, it got a little more than that, uh, though, for me, it's, it's actually like everything is personal. This is quite personal um, on two levels. For one, um, and it's all about the medicine for me anyways. Uh, for one is, is for my mom. Um, my mom has had her, her body's a mess. Let's just put it that way. She's had, you know, a dozen or more 
different surgeries, like uh, spinal fusions, knee replacements. She's had like four hip replacements. I mean, her body is a mess. Um, throughout her life, you know, this is over the last 20, 30 years. So about, I would say 15 to 20 years ago, I was trying to get her to switch from all the painkillers because she was always getting painkillers and like the heavier hitters, like the, you know, the opioids would give her hallucinations and she didn't like it. So she was getting overprescribed NSAIDs. Um, And I, I just felt like that cannabis was such a better option. And I tried a couple of times. It took me a few times. I I think I finally, um, I infused, like I made butter, you know, way back in the day. And then I infused (laughs) the butter into like a a hot fudge. And then I gave her the fudge and she kept it in the fridge and she could put it on a cracker and like dose herself appropriately. And she finally got into it. And then when it became legal here, she went out and got a medical card. Um, Let me just fast forward like 15 years later. Um, By the way, the cannabis, she has no side effects. She's incredibly happy it helps her sleep it um controls the pain it helps with her arthritis um it helps with her inflammation and i mean she would be like on a smorgasbord of painkillers to do all of this um and other pills if she didn't have the cannabis now what happened from all those years before the cannabis um NSAIDs 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 lots and lots of NSAIDs uh and painkillers and at this point in her life the long-term effect of that is that her lower esophageal sphincter like the little valve that keeps food from coming back up out of your stomach into your esophagus is now permanently open her esophageal lining is completely hard Um, she's had multiple hernias in her stomach where the stomach has actually pushed itself out of the lining. I mean, her upper digestive tract and system is just shot and it is because of NSAIDs and she has to deal with that. And it's another thing that she thankfully can sort of control some of the pain and issues, uh, with her, her tincture consumption and she uses tinctures. CB, uh, CBG, I think she said CBN. CBN for sleep is really her favorite. Um, she uses a combination of CBD and THC to control the pain and for everything else. And she just has a couple of tincture bottles and she just knows how much to dose and she's super happy. Um, and it, it helps her live a very healthy and happy life. So for, for mom, hundred percent. I am a huge advocate and I was excited to get involved with a company that was trying to put out really high quality, um, concentrated cannabis, because mm-hmm. although we don't make tinctures, like there are a lot of people out there, like my mother who just need high quality, safe to consume concentrates. Um, for me, it has also really become a medicine. Uh, I had, um, I have a brain tumor, a little bit of a brain tumor. <laughs> I had a craniotomy in 2017. It's like a 12 and a half hour operation to remove a tumor the size of my eye socket from my uh, my hearing nerve on the left side. Um, they didn't take everything out. If they did, my whole face wouldn't work. So uh, thankfully, uh, they left some of it. So the nerves still work. Um, I've since had radiation on, on that tumor and it's also thankfully kind of stationary. It's not growing it's not shrinking. It's just kind of like Swiss but cheese. The tumor, the tumor was 
benign? Um, well, it, it was removed. I don't know that it, it wasn't, they didn't call it cancer. It's acoustic schwannoma. It was growing up. Oh, okay. Schwannoma. Sheath. Got it. Yeah. I yeah, know. Nerve sheath yeah. lining of my, of my, of my, uh, of my left auditory nerve. Um, but they did remove most of it. And then, uh, so that was 2017. And I guess it's been what, like, a year and a half now since they had to have me come back in because it was growing again. And they decided it had grown enough over the, the, I think three ish years that they were monitoring it, that they wanted to irradiate it and prevent it from growing anymore. So, um, I, I then went and had a gamma knife procedure done. Now there's a big metal plate in the side of my brain. And every time the pressures change outside and the weather is going to change, I will get a headache. Um, if my stress, stress levels start to rise even remotely, I'll get a headache. Uh, I don't know all the other reasons that I get a headache, but I know those two for sure cause headaches. Um, I, I just get headaches. Like I, I would get headaches every day. I mean, like literally like my, it's like every single day. Um, and, uh, you know, if I just take acetaminophen, which is what, what they would recommend, I take like, you know, six to eight pills a day and I start taking it every day and I've done this. And, uh, I'll tell you, I start to feel sick. Like I can physically feel the, the, help my health diminishing when I start taking that much um Tylenol or NSAID or acetaminophen or whatever um it just doesn't agree with me however if instead I just use marijuana daily I don't get headaches at all mm. like they don't even come like I, I I had my first headache and I would say like three or four weeks uh on Sunday and you know so like that's that's pretty good you know one a month versus every day um and when i do get those headaches guess what if i have the right strain i can just nip it in the butt like i'm like oh i feel the headache let me go get some queso pero queso pero is an awesome one it works so well for my headaches um you know let me see if i have some in my cupboard and then i go and you know i smoke a little bit or i find some concentrate and it's great um it it'll 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 diminish it it'll or maybe take it away there's a rare occasion where the marijuana doesn't do it and then it's like, okay, every two to three months, I have to take a single Tylenol on top of the marijuana and like, I'm good. Um, but it's, it's life-changing for me. So for me, it's medicine. And if it's medicine for me, I, I see that it's medicine for so many other people. Um, it's just, I, I have, I need it. It's part of my daily routine. And, uh, I, I, don't think that I would be anywhere near where I am today if it wasn't for cannabis. I think I would have a lot more problems with life. I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic testimonial, and uh, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, getting you aligned with your genetic profile to see which cannabinoid terpenes are are best for you too. And uh, yeah, and see, I, so that that would be something that we'll we'll definitely uh, take a look at. Uh, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. You know, yeah. having having a personal experience where you, 
you know, we, this, there's this still this stigma, even though, you know, cannabis is legal in, in most of the country now, there's still this stigma. And unfortunately, what, what happens is, and I've had this happen several times with people who are anti-cannabis, somebody in their family uh, has an illness, either themselves or somebody else. And then the people who are anti-cannabis, this and that, and they've tried opiates, they come back and uh, they try cannabis or their family member and sees the results. And it just takes that switch to change their mindset and their perception of, of cannabis. I mean, what you just said is yeah. a great example of a personal experience. Not that you had any trepidations prior to that, but I'm just saying. No, but my mother did, right? I, I mean, I made her chocolate coconut macaroons and then she was like I don't know and they all got thrown away I think and then like I did it again and then maybe she she I didn't you know it's like butter you're making a dose at the age of 20 for for mom to try because you think it's going to help her maybe she ate too much and she's like oh no it was too much and then you know so it took me like over the course of two years several attempts she was like no you know that's a drug it's illegal I don't want that it's gonna get put that in the garbage you know it took some time but now it's it's a lifesaver for her. And, well, you know. it's it's interesting that you said it because my question was in my research, and uh, I think I read that your your father ran the EPA. Is that is that correct? Or... <laughs> well, he was uh, the division director for the fuel emissions laboratory of the EPA here in Ann Arbor for several years. Yeah. Okay, so I, I was just I was just curious because you know when you're uh, involved with the government and all that stuff. What is the the feeling, the family, uh, first of all, their their thoughts and feelings on cannabis, and then that you're in the cannabis industry? Uh, did you have any kind of pushback on that, or? Um, you know, I think when I when I was consulting, it was no big deal, and then when I I said, "Hey, I'm I'm taking this job. I'm going to move home." It was more of excitement that I was coming home with my at the time, three-year-old daughter, um, to be close to the family and to work here in Michigan. It was, you know, there was that aspect. And then when, you know, he was retired at the time when I was taking on this job and he actually was very supportive. My father was never one to believe, um, that anybody should take any, any over-the-counter drugs or, um, you should avoid taking anything for, uh, you know, if you have a headache, drink a glass of water, just really avoid taking the drugs altogether. So, you know, he, he never really was, you know, oh yeah, sure. You guys want to go use pot. That's okay. No, it was always like, you shouldn't be doing that. It's not good for you. <laughs> but then over time, as he saw, um, he saw the, the research and, you know, it became, you know, it was legal here in this state. And, um, he also, my father flew a, a small plane and had a, a nonprofit where he would fly sick people to help them get to medical attention. Um, and so uh, I think he also saw that maybe some of his patients, his, his flights, it, it would help those people. And you know, over time, he got warmed up to the idea and he really appreciated that they they wanted me involved to help make sure that they were doing things in a safe manner and utilizing my skill sets of setting up laboratories and understanding equipment and laboratory operations and safe practices 
And, you know, it, he was on board with it because he saw the value of, of my skill set in the laboratory and how I could help ensure that, um, that C3 was doing things safely. He really appreciated that. Yeah. I, I, that, that's, I think what you just said is getting the science and the, like the medical aspects and making sure that it's done right. I think that it helps people feel a little more comfortable, especially, you know, having a scientific background. So I wanted to kind of ask, uh, what does your job entail? Like what is, is it, is it overseeing operations? Is it physically uh, doing the work? We can kind of get an example of what's a day in the life. <laughs> day in the life of a cat. <laughs> I spent a, a lot of times in meetings now. No, um, so initially I did, I spent a year, um, we, we brought in a, 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 a very knowledgeable um, technician to help out, uh, get the lab up and running. And um, I spent a year hands-on learning how to make hash right? Mm -hmm. Learning how do we process cannabis into products. Um, so I, I immersed myself in the laboratory and then, um, it took some time. We got, we got the, the team built up and, um, you know, management in place to run the laboratory so we could work on the other laboratories. I am responsible for, you know, all of the equipment selection. I help with the lab designs, like where is the infrastructure going? Um, when we're going to install equipment into a new lab, I go there. I'm the one that's going to install the extractor, um, make sure all the lines are nicely done and uh, get the equipment all sort of set up for the lab manager that's going to come in and the team that's going to process. I take, I do monthly rounds to all of the labs. So take a look at the products they're making and walk through and make sure everything looks like it's being done right. I spend a lot of time looking at the data that comes through from the different labs, um, kind of evaluating processes. I coordinate and make sure that all of the labs are doing everything the same for the SOPs that we've developed. And then um, we we have a pretty phenomenal kind of research situation. Um, if you can imagine having, we have three commercially producing labs right now, and we have one research facility with a laboratory um, so as, as we look at, Hey, we want to try out this, or we want to try our hand in this area, or we'd like to get into this, we have the space and the place and the people to do the, the startup research. But then as we look at our processing on a day-to-day -day basis, we also have three labs running the same basic equipment setup. And so lab in Michigan can maybe has some knowledge about something that's causing a problem in Missouri or, um, you know, if we want to look at tweaking parameters, we have replicate situations. So I can have this lab working on this and this lab working on this and this lab working on that. And then we can take all of the data and compile it. And we have a really good data set to help us really drive, um, drive the direction of where we want to go with that processing. And so for the consumer who's going into a high profile or anywhere else that might be selling some cloud cover concentrates, um, they may not notice a big difference from month to month as they get the products. But if you look at the products that we were making two and a half years ago when we started out, compared to what we're making right now, it's a world of difference because the subtle changes that we slowly implement as we 
come up with new innovative ways to fine tune and improve our processing or uh, new techniques, things, you know, we've got all, everybody working together. We have um, all team meetings where we actually get everyone from all of the labs in one conversation every couple of weeks where people have a chance to talk about stuff. Uh, our, our lab managers from across the country, we all get together weekly and have conversations as to where the research is going. And so it's really cool. Um, you know, I couldn't ask for something better, you know, when it comes to like, hey, how do we like move things forward and get better? How do we, hey guys, how do we preserve these terpenes while we really work on on, on making sure that the hydrocarbon levels are significantly lower than the states require or whatever it is, you know, we want to, um, we always want to think about safety in the lab and we always want to think about safety of the products for the consumers. So safety is huge and quality is huge for us. And so big part of the job is looking at, you know, making sure that the formulations for the carts are right and that the quality is going to be there and it's going to be consistent quality from Michigan to Massachusetts, to Missouri or Portland or wherever um, the products are being produced, that the butters are going to be nice and creamy and, the, you know, um, whatever the terpene profiles are all going to be the same. So if you get a Wookie Girl batter and Massachusetts and you buy a Wookie Girl batter in Michigan, we want it to be the same product as close as it can be um, from state to state and batch to batch. And so that consistency is huge. Um, so I, yeah, I do a lot of lab setup and then a lot of uh, just kind of working to make sure all of the labs are in sync and making sure that the the labs understand what what they need to be doing. Now there's director of operations at every facility that's going to like be responsible for like, you know, uh, the processing schedules and things like that. But in terms of quality and safety, that's really where I, I kind of keep an eye on everybody and make sure that we've, we've got uh, consistent high quality products and driving the research forward and figuring out how exactly to approach it um, when we want to achieve something new. For example, Right now, we're really, really excited. We've been working, I would say, one and a half to two years on our dab cart formulations. And um, we are about to release our dab carts, I think, in July in at least two of the three states that we're commercially producing right now. Um, and, you know, so that was kind of like the, hey, we want to... We got a dab, right? So we got our, our concentrate that, you know, it's strain specific or like a curated blend. And we like how that feels. We like how that tastes, but there's some inconvenience to that. Like, how do we get the dab to go? Right. <laughs> we want to we put the dab into the cart. So how do we do that? So, it, you know, we had the initial formulations and ideas, but then going from, hey, this is the idea and oh, wow, this tastes amazing and it, it's great to like getting something that is going to be consistent. Every time that somebody buys a dab cart, it needs to taste good from start to finish. It needs, it needs to have a consistent flavor. It needs to work well. Um, it needs to not crash because again, this is a dab, which has a lot of THCA in it. So we don't want it to crash and crystallize out in the cart. So there was a lot of, uh, a lot of R and D that went into that. And like I said, it took us about a year and a half to two years of work to really get the formula. So we were confident in it. 
figure out how to do this consistently and do it right. And um, we now, I think we've got it and we're about to release this product. So, you know, dabs to go, get your dab card. I'm really excited for it. I Mostly because I, I've been, you know, one of the ones that got to experience this as we've developed it. And so I just know how delicious they are. And so I'm really excited for all of our customers to get to share in that because it's one of those things that we we worked hard on it. So yeah, it's um, an innovative product because uh, you know dabbing involves like a whole thing. You have to have a rig and a torch and all yeah. that stuff. So and consistency is key. And and also like you mentioned hash. I'm assuming that you're not old school like no, getting the keef off of the I, like I, what, you know your turp sugars your butters your batters your diamonds and sauce that's all in my mind hash okay <laughs> I, I love hash. like i i love hash hash is one of my favorite ways to consume cannabis but you know hash you go to dispensaries and things are called hash but they're not hash it's not like the keef it's not what i remember Way back in the day, getting, yeah, getting hash, you know, getting that, that gooey kind of uh, brick that uh, looks like a dark chocolate with a, with a stamp on it. That, you know, somebody just banging off the keef and rolling it up and uh, decarbonate. So uh, you're saying hash is like a category of concentrates that you're Yeah, pretty much all of the normal puffed concentrates that we have out there. But I think this is kind of like if we put our, our butters or our batters. Um, you know, that kind of overall consistency, or maybe you could even say you put your diamonds and your sauce all together into a cart. Um, it's like the full spectrum extract. I mean, all the cannabinoids, all the terpenes, all the cannabinoids you can get in there. Um, you know, so would that be, would that be like live rosin? So here, here's my, my experience way, way back in the day. And one, uh, I'm definitely aging myself and dating myself by saying that. So there used to be that the hair straighteners that uh, girls used to use. And we would put like uh, wax paper or whatever, yeah. nonstick paper and take a bud and uh, homemade rosin it. press. <laughs> That's it. Homemade <laughs> rosin press. That's all you needed back in the day. You just put pressure and heat on it, and you have rosin. You're just I mean, technically, <laughs> I, I think you could still do that if you really wanted to. Technically, there you go. Right? We just gave we just gave the audience a tip, so you guys can all go out there. Just be careful. <laughs> um, just don't burn yourself on the curling exactly. iron. Exactly. Get one with adjustable temperature settings, and I can't guarantee that you're going to get a very high yield. Um, you're not going to get a high yield, but you'll you'll have a personal product there for you to try. I mean, people have done that for sure. Uh, no, so there's you know there's there's the dry cures and then the live resins and um, the the live resin is usually referring to I believe uh, a flash for a fresh fresh frozen flash fr- freeze like you know you, you like take the the biomass and you basically freeze it as soon as you chop it down um, very, very quickly to preserve the integrity of everything that's in the plant. And then they, they do the extraction like that. And that's part of our R and D program right now. We are doing some, some live, uh, some fresh frozen research, um, trying to sort out if we want to, if that's a viable product line for us or not. We, um, the biomass that we are currently processing in most of the labs is dry cured. Uh, again, it's a, a shorter dry cure process. So this is, 
our our dab carts are kind of in the realm of the live resin carts that are out there, but it is a dry cure um, process that in advance of that. Um, we do I, I'd say that our, our labs do a really, really good job of preserving terpenes. Um, I know and I've seen a lot of, of of live products out there, you know, and the terpene numbers, uh, you know, seven, eight, nine, 10% terpenes. But I'll be honest, I've also seen a lot of C of A's of our products that come back at seven, eight, nine, 10% terpenes because of the little innovative tricks and tweaks that we've done in our process just to do a good job of maintaining the terpene content. Mm -hmm. So it's all about how you process it. Yep. Um, yeah. What's, what's Qi Gong? Qi Gong? <laughs> oh, so... Um, Qigong is the harmonization of your body, your breath, and your mind. So is that, would you say that is like a form of uh, Tai Chi or a form of meditation that you're moving it, body, breath, or uh, can you describe it is, that? It is, it is a hundred percent. It is moving meditation. And um, so if Qigong is the alphabet, Tai Chi is like a set of words that you can make from that alphabet. So Qigong is like, uh, it started out with Qigong. The monks were studying uh, the connectivity between the earth and the stars and the planets and the movement and the breath. And they started doing these techniques that improve their longevity and their focus and their health. And these are ancient monks i believe in china you know very very long time ago and then apparently uh the government got a hold of this knowledge that these monks were living very long lives and healing fast and uh like very healthy and so then they just they had to militarize it right of course right oh you've got you've got like the secret to longevity uh like how do we incorporate that into the military and so they um, then, then Tai Chi came to be, right? So they, Tai Chi used the Qigong in the mov movements where you like focus your body and you, your breath, you focus your mind on your breath and you're using your breath intentionally to power the movements. And this kind of creates this cool energy flow. Um, and so, you know, Qigong breathing is uh, something that everybody should try and do a little bit of practice of daily. Um, I think yoga is basically also an expression of Qigong, you know, and most martial arts on the planet in some way um, kind of evolved from Tai Chi. You know, that's kind of, if you practice Tai Chi um, and you practice other martial arts, you'll see that some of the motions that you do in slow motion in Tai Chi are very much the motions that are then sped up into modern day martial arts so there's a, a lineage there somehow it all connects back and i so and, and I, this is something you practice uh, correct is it the, i i your i do <laughs> i you know for i i am a little out of practice with the tai chi but the qigong i do a lot of qigong breathing um on a routine basis it also helps with headaches and and general health um the tai chi i I, I actually am a Tai Chi easy practice leader. 
And so for a while, when I was in Texas, I, I led Tai Chi practice two days a week at lunch at work. Um, and I, so it was just whoever wanted to come down and surprising or not, I, I had a group of five to 10 coworkers that would religiously come to classes if they had time or were able. And when we all got too busy and we would stop after some time, they would come back and say, Hey, Kat, when can we do Tai Chi again? Yeah. Like yeah, people you, loved you it. Sh- I think you should introduce that into C3, uh, as huh? well. And do virtual Tai Chi with C, with C3 with uh, your coworkers as well. If anybody wanted to do virtual Tai Chi with me, I would love it. There you go. <laughs> but everybody put, I put it out there in the universe. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I would be happy to do or even my five minutes of Qigong in the mornings, just the breathing exercises are, are super helpful. Now, if anybody wants to check out some uh, some Tai Chi or Qi, uh, Qigong type uh, training videos, they're all over YouTube. My recommendation is to find the person that looks the most relaxed while they're doing the motions. So if you're like, oh, let me check out some chi, uh, some Tai Chi, some Tai Chi Easy is really nice because it focuses more on doing the motions than getting the exact hand position or foot position. Um, it's more about just doing the motions, getting the mobility, uh, the breathing aspect. Uh, you want to take the opportunity to like clear all the oxygen out of your body and replace it with all fresh oxygen. And it's, it's super helpful. I highly recommend it. Yeah. I'm definitely going to give it a shot. I've, uh, I've tried Qigong before and then uh, I I have a hard time being consistent or anything. So my meditation, I went, I went, took a transcendental meditation class. So I I do TM uh, Mm -hmm. now, but I I think I'm going to try that again. I, I like the, the involvement of the breath work with that. I think it's, a, it's a very it's, powerful it's tool. It's really cool. Um, I'll, I'll send you some links. Okay. <laughs> um, do you play music as well? I, I, I do. <laughs> I love music. It's a little different for me now that I only hear out of one side of my head, but um, you know, everything in mono, but you actually pick up a lot when everything's in mono. So what yeah. do you, what instrument or like do you have uh like what's what's your go-to? What what's my go-to? Okay, so I can play the piano, no problem. I in my living room right now there's a like a a really big keyboard workstation. I have a smaller keyboard synthesizer. I have two Technique 1200s. There's CDJ like a Oh wait, you're a DJ? Year. You didn't, you didn't tell me that you were a DJ, too. Uh, I'm not, like, I don't play for other people. <laughs> My brother DJs, right? But I, I fool around. I like the sound of vinyl. Like, I can kind of mix the records together. Oh, I am, Synth- I'm a vinyl collector, so I yeah. have a ton of vinyl. Synthesizers. I like synthesizing beats, and I do vocals. I, you know, I used, I used to rap. <laughs> oh, look at that. Um, uh, do you have a, like, you have any music out on SoundCloud that people can listen to? <laughs> oh, geez, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to look. It's it's been a while. <laughs> um, uh, some electronic work that I did with others. You know, a lot of collaborative type work. Um, but now, uh, honestly, um, my favorite instrument is the handpan. Okay. Yeah, um, of all of it. Like, I, I have all the fun electronic stuff, and I, I do like to play or just play records or play the piano or whatever. But the hand drums are all fun. I have a lot of little hand drums and stuff. But the hand pan, 
is a, a meditative instrument, actually. And so when you play the hand pan, it's sort of like you can get into it and the good vibrations of the sounds is really phenomenal for healing and meditation. I'm I really enjoy that. that. I really enjoy that the most. Uh, are you an artist as well? Do you I am. Uh, paint? I like paintings. <laughs> what, what, is, uh, what is your medium of choice for painting? I, I love poor painting. I, what painting? Poor painting, acrylic poor painting. Oh, uh, oh, acrylic. Okay. Yeah, I, I just, um, you know, you get the right the there's some um, stuff to make the acrylic paints a little bit thinner, and you can like put them in a cup or pour them on the canvas, and then you rotate the canvas to get the, the paint to go. And it's sort of, um, for me, I, I have so much structure and so much uh this has to be just so and i need these numbers just right and i've got a lot of stuff to coordinate it can be quite overwhelming and again let's get back to something that's almost meditative for me i can turn on some music in my garage um which is a complete mess of painting everything else rather than where my car sits and um i can get out of canvas and I can start pouring paints on there and throwing paints and wipe this and do this and like make a huge mess. And it doesn't matter. Right. It's just completely free and just whatever comes. And if I don't like how it turned out, just dump some more paint on there. And I'm not trying to make it look like anything. I'm not trying to fit inside any lines or comedy in any regulations. It's just like, uh, complete creative dump and um forget about everything else and just focus on all these beautiful colors and maybe with some music that's like driving it a little bit and it's really fun it's completely relaxing that's that's super cool because i i I painted with oil for many years and uh you know i try to create paintings that that i connect to and then over covid uh, I had a bunch of acrylic paints my daughter was using, and I couldn't couldn't figure out how to get depth, like because I was trying to layer. When you're doing oil, you're layering on top, and you're getting real depth. Sure. And it's and it's the opposite of that. And I was just like frustrated. And then I did sort of a little bit of what you uh, you suggested. I, I sort of let myself go, and I'm like, I'm just going to try to. And it came out. Not exactly what I envisioned in my head, but, you know, it's, it's okay. So I think letting go of that structure and specifically if you're painting like a landscape or something, it has to be like a landscape. But when mm-hmm. I when I started using acrylics, you know, I started dabbling a little bit more in the abstract type of work. So I definitely see where, where you're going with that. It's much more freeing. Yeah, no, and I mean, like, I'll use, um, the other one I like a lot is uh, get water pa- watercolor paper, and they sell, like, at Joanne's, for example, um, these, like, they're watercolor pen brushes, they're brush pens, and so the pen contains the watercolor, and there's a little brush at the end, and that's fine, you can... You can draw like an outline if you want. Like I like to do flowers because again, they're kind of like free form for me. Um, so you'll draw like an outline and you like add a bunch of color. And then there's another pen that is designed to fill with water and you get 
there's a brush on the end. And so then you can like squeeze the pen and a drop will come down onto the brush and you can add the water and start blending the colors together. Huh. And super cool. What water colors were always a challenge for me. I always got frustrated with them and I never really liked them, but I absolutely love the watercolor brush pens. They're so cool. Um, I'm going to give that a shot. It sounds fun. Yeah, they had a, a thing in the, the museum in, in uh, L.A., the, uh, the LACMA Museum. They had a mm-hmm. room, uh, which is an Asian room, and you can go and you can use watercolors to paint different things and stuff. And I used to go there when my daughter was really little, and I would have the same frustration because I would make the brush too wet and everything would just kind of blend together. And I had somebody come over and like, that's what you want. You want it to sort of watercolor you want it to blend together you're, you're trying to kind of be in one space and it doesn't need to be that way it needs to flow so I yeah think, uh, letting it flow and i think that's flow. the theme of the art that i've gotten into because uh is just to let it flow i was always frustrated when i would try and draw things or do art because it never turns out how you want it so i realized that just just saying, all right, stop wanting it. Just let it flow and be what it wants to be and just take the opportunity to put color into something and enjoy. And now they come out really, really cool. I'll show you like one of my favorite paintings that I've done. And it's just a little one. It's like a little square. Oh, wow. Love it's it. Like, Super cool. Yeah, like I just like bright it. colors. And they're like, there's another, there's another really big one. Uh, a little harder to see but you know like really big paintings really little paintings you know i wanted to make a sunset i made a giant sunset that just i like it (laughs) you know so a sunset is like something that can be like kind of free but have a target i don't know so i I like it really really cool yeah okay so i have a few questions left uh these are questions that I ask all my guests. So uh, uh, let's see if we can start with the first one. Maybe a little bit difficult. Just kidding. I, I always say they're, they're not. They're, they're pretty simple questions. But uh, please describe your first experience with cannabis. My first experience with cannabis. I was at my friend Chrissy's house. I was probably 13 or 14. Maybe 15. Ooh. I, I was pretty young. And her little sister there was there with us. And her, her <laughs> and we we had probably like like garbage weed, like I would never smoke right now. But we did the whole pop can thing where you like bend in the pop can and you make the little holes and you know, we made a pop can bong. And um her mom left for a little bit and I I just remember uh we were I was trying to figure out how to hit this, you know, like trying, okay, we have to inhale this and I'm not sure what we're doing. She kind of knew what she was doing. And I remember her, her sister being like one year behind us, or uh, whatever, um, spilled the pot out of, <laughs> out of a can. <laughs> so we had a couple of hits and then it was like, it was like wasted. And, oh, I, I, I don't remember if it really got me high the first time. I don't think it did, but I do remember who I was with and that we were trying to smoke out of Pepsi can. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. Well, I've been there, done it for sure. Um, okay. So I'm, I'm a big music uh, guy as uh, um, probably you can see behind me. Um, 
<clears throat> what was, do you remember the first concert you ever attended? All right. Um, I remember one from when I was really little with my parents and I don't remember who, who was singing, but they sing the apples and banana song. So maybe it was for kids. Um, but, uh, the first one I remember like in my later years, adult years or late teen years or whatever, um, was either no doubt or bare naked ladies. And I can't remember which one was first. Got it. Uh, do you remember what was the first album you purchased? The first album I purchased, like I went to a store and bought an album. Um, CD cassette. Even it was either Beastie Boys or Sublime. Okay, <laughs> Beastie Boys, like licensed to ill, or like uh, check your head, Paul's boutique, or like later Beastie uh, Boys. I Whatever, it's had, a Beastie Boys. Album. I, I had <laughs> several. Right now, in my vinyl collection, I have Ill Communication. That was probably my all-time favorite Beastie Boys song was Ill Communications. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Um, is there anything that you're listening to these days that you're connecting with? Ooh, what do I like for music these days? Um, that really depends on my mood. Um, I'm an all-time always listener, or, I don't know, a huge fan of electronic music of all varieties. So um, there's a couple of, of DJs are my go-to. Uh, I really like Nora Impura. Uh, Nora Impura, is, she plays a really nice, um, it's easy for me to listen to. There's also an artist called Vintage Culture I really enjoy. Um, also plays really good, good, easy to listen to mixes that kind of keep me moving and feel good. Um, for non-electronic, uh, Fleetwood, Fleetwood Mac is like a, a go-to for me always. Sure. <laughs> um, Why not? Uh, uh, what else? So I, I, I like Rising Appalachia, which is kind of more relaxed vibes. Um, kind of, uh, what else? I don't know, a lot. I mean, I like all music. It's kind of hard yeah. to pick a favorite. You know? <laughs> well, no, it's uh, it's good. I mean, I just wanted to <clears throat> kind of introduce you know listeners to stuff that you're listening to. Maybe yeah. uh, they haven't heard it before, so I think that that's really good. Uh, yeah. What has cannabis meant in your life? What has cannabis meant in my life? Uh, cannabis means health. Uh, uh, for me, cannabis in my life is like, <laughs> like it's it's really significant. You know, it's it's all about my health, my mom's health. I mean, cannabis, ca cannabis also means fun and it means relaxation, but, um, cause I, I think cannabis is fun, you know, there's that aspect to it, but, um, it's, sure. it's, it's, it's also like, I, I'm a huge fan of a good sativa. Sativas are awesome for like, get up and go kind of thing, you know? Um, so great start to any morning. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, sounds good to me. All right, so a uh, bonus question. You qualify. Uh, please describe what your room looked like growing up. My room looked like growing up. 
uh, let's see, it was pink, like abundantly pink. Maybe not uh, my favorite color, but that was the color that went in there. Um, I had a window with a view of the lake. And I had a window that I could climb out of and go sit on the garage roof um, and smoke cigarettes or joints. I don't smoke cigarettes and I don't condone cigarettes. But at the time, it was pretty convenient when I was like, you know, 17, 18 years old and didn't want mom to know I was smoking cigarettes or joints. And then I just go climb out on the roof and smoke. Um, it was always kind of messy, but I would know where everything was. So any like, any posters or anything on the walls or anything distinctive? Um, let's see. I I had like like a cute fuzzy animal poster on the wall, kind of thing. Um, you know, mostly uh, I had a bunk bed. And what was interesting is there was like a white board that was supporting the bunk above me, like the bed above me, and I would write phone numbers on the board above where I slept so when I was lying in bed I could just use a marker and write up there and so like all my friends phone numbers were listed on the bed and over my head and I mean I had I was really good with numbers so I would memorize all that anyways but like it was always there um in terms of like writing on the wall it was writing over my sleeping spot but uh yeah I mean I I don't know. It was always, uh, it was always a little cluttered, but like, again, like even to this day, I could probably tell you what was on the third shelf up on the right side of the closet. Like, just like I knew exactly where things went. So it was no problem for me. I'm sure. My mom didn't love that. Um, <laughs> yeah. That now in my dad's house, my room was a little different over there. I definitely had like an eclectic assortment of like different magazine clippings. I had a big bulletin board on the wall. So I had 10 like magazine clippings of shows that I might've liked at various times or like uh, maps from like uh, ski trips out West. So, like, Oh, we went to this place. I put the map up of like, you know, solitude or, you know, I don't know, Breckenridge or wherever we went that year, I might have a map up on the wall of like where we went snowboarding or skiing um, or like uh, like some Aikido certificate from passing the next test in Aikido or whatever, that kind of thing, hobbies. Um, Very cool. Yeah. So Kat, uh, I want to thank you so much uh, for doing this. Where can people find out more about you or connect with you or C3 Industries, uh, social, whatever you want to share? Oh, me? Um, let me see. <laughs> oh, well, I'm on LinkedIn. If you don't want people to connect with you, just say, uh, can I go through C3 and that's it. <laughs> uh, I'm on LinkedIn. You can try and find me there. I, I uh, Let me look up my my Instagram right now. Somebody can find me on Instagram now. I don't actually um, typically post much about what we're doing in the lab on my Instagram because CloudCover has their own Instagram. But um, if you really want to find me, uh, Potent Poet, P-O-T-E-N-T-P-O-E-T is my uh, tag name on Instagram. So that works. But yeah, Kat Lawrence on, on, on LinkedIn is another way to find me. Got it. And then, cool. oh, see, cloud cover, yeah. you can, oh, you can definitely find cloud cover. Like, let's talk about cloud cover. Look up cloud cover cannabis. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you will find Cloud Cover Cannabis on uh, on Instagram. That's a great way. And then, of course, there's like C3 Industries. You and then just, High Profile too, correct? Yeah, High Profile is another one. Um, yeah, there we go. Highprofilecannabis.com and then C3Industries.com. Cloud Cover. Um, yeah, cloudcovercannabis.com. And then, of course, those will those will get you to the website so you can see all the fun and exciting stuff we're doing. Um, you know, we entered the Cannabis Cup in Michigan, so that's pretty exciting. Back to those dab carts. Hopefully, the, uh, the Cannabis Cup folks love our new dab carts and give go. us some love there um, because that was the first time we really dropped those into anything, and that was the cup. Um, yeah. I'm so cool. excited about that. You got to try one. I don't know if you're ever out in, in other I'm, states, I'm, but I will. Uh, I'll, I travel all the time, so uh, I, I've been to uh, Michigan and intend to go back as well. I, before before COVID, I, I I spoke there at a conference. I don't remember which one, so I definitely Detroit. will be back in Michigan. In Detroit, Canacon, maybe. Maybe <laughs> there's so many. There are so many. I've been I've been doing this so long. I've been so many. So it may have been one of those. I, I, don't, I don't remember off the top of my head, but um, I will well, be back. And mm-hmm. if you come, look me up. Yeah. You got it. <laughs> Definitely will. Kat, uh, I want to thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, um, you know, and we'll post all the links and everything. And uh, we will be talking soon. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ron. I appreciate you having me on the show. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canada podcasters right here on PodConX and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.